Big Apple. I wanna be a part of B. Welcome back to Your Story. I'm your host, Ian Cat. This is episode 41, coming to you from Buenos Aires. Yes, I've been here for two weeks now, everybody, and I've been doing quite a few things. You know I've been over here for tango, as I've mentioned a few times. I do a little bit of tango, and I've come over here to learn a little bit more and soak up the culture that is this city, this amazingly large metropolis of something like 13 million people that live on the east coast of South America. That is the capital of Argentina. It's quite an extraordinary place and I'm absolutely fascinated to crawl around inside it and see what I find and part of that is actually bringing you some podcast episodes and that's what we have today. If you want to get hold of me, all the usual things and remember the site is over at yourstorypodcast.com. I'm actually putting a few things up there that are additional to this, little things about the travels, things I've been doing and places I'm seeing. You might find them a little bit interesting and uh, I'm having a great deal of fun and you know, making a little video here about certain things. And there's a couple of addendum episodes coming through as as I do this. I've already put one out and I've got an idea for another one coming up in the hopefully next couple of days. But it's all coming along quite nicely and I've managed to get some very nice conversations recorded already. And I've got a few other people hopefully coming on board with a few more recordings in the next few days. So stick around and hopefully as much fun for you as it is for me. And believe me, it's a lot of fun. Today's episode in particular was a great deal of fun. I got hold of Mike and we went to a little boutique brewery and had a uh, few beers, <laughs> actually quite a few beers. It started off pretty light on and we did the recording early in the piece and I enjoyed his company so much I just sort of kicked back and we kept buying the beers and it went on late into the night and it was a wonderful, wonderful evening. It, uh, I didn't quite know exactly how to get home and when you're half cut trying to work your way through an unknown city... It's a little bit daunting sometimes, but uh, I managed to get home all right, and it was all good. And I managed to get this really lovely recording with him. Mike's interesting because he's a U.S. citizen who's actually migrated to Buenos Aires because he wanted a different life, and that's what he's going to tell us all about today, the different life that he's created for himself in a foreign country that he's fallen deeply in love with and thoroughly enjoys and has become one with it. And it's a great story. In the background at the moment, you can also hear some music, which I chose because it was relevant. A few days ago, the party that I'm with went down onto a, a, a ranch, a property where, and it's a working property, but it's also designed for tourists. And they had some music there and they put on a show and it was really good. And eventually I'll edit together a bit of a video of what I recorded while we're there. But I slapped my recorder on the table and I re recorded this little bit of sound that's in the background. I think it actually represents nicely what Mike's story is all about because it is about farming, about ranching, about cattle. It's about Argentina more than Buenos Aires. Even though the recording we did was deep in the heart of Buenos Aires, his story is more about 
the whole thing. So we have a little bit of light and shade, you know, the city and the country. And that's what Mike's story is all about. And here's Mike. Eighth of July, two thousand nine. I'm sitting in Buller's Brewery, Buller's Brewery in yes, Ricoletta, just across the road from the very famous Ricoletta Cemetery, where all sorts of rich and famous people of Buenos Aires now reside permanently. Ha- permanently. And I'm sitting here with Mike. Hello, Mike. Hello. Hello, Ian. How are you? Very well. What's your surname, Mike? Um, uh, Skovronik. Oh, that's... yeah. That's, that's one of the reasons I'm known as Shanky Mike. Here, here in town because of the, the, the surname's impossible for uh, English speakers and Spanish speakers alike. Right, right. Mike, that's not an Argentinian accent. Uh, no, not, not, not while I'm speaking English. It's, it's much more of a Midwestern accent with, uh, with about 15 years of uh, Chicago uh, piled so, up on top of it. So we're not it. talking Midwestern Argentina, are we? No, no, we're not. However, my Spanish is, uh, is very much Rio uh, Platense, uh, the Spanish dialect that is spoken here. Okay, so you're from the U.S.? Yeah. How long have you been in Argentina? Uh, I've been here almost six years. I got here in um, October of uh, 2003. Okay, okay. And why have you come to Argentina? Well, I get that question a lot, but then there's really no... There's really no one easy answer for, for picking up and moving from your homeland and, and moving to the other side of the planet. But um, so, I mean, it's a combination of a lot of things. I, I kind of feel like the stars all align just perfectly, and, and, that's, uh, and I made the decision. Did you, fall in lo- did you fall in love with an Argentinian chick? Yes, I did. But that was years, <laughs> that was years previously. Okay, okay. That was year pre- years previous to that. Uh, I met my wife in uh, Havana, Cuba. And uh, in uh, 2000... And she's Argentinian. And she's Argentine. She's from here, uh, uh, here in Buenos Aires. And we dated for a year, uh, trans hemispherically, and uh, got married, lived in Chicago for three years, and then, um, and then uh, suddenly everything just seemed perfect for a move to, uh, to Buenos Aires. And we, we got here about six years ago. What, what were you doing in the U.S. before you left? Uh, logistics. Oh, transportation. Okay. Okay. Yeah. okay. Management, that sort of level. Management level, yeah. Okay. Uh, director level, and um, but that I I started uh, twenty years earlier. I started loading uh, trucks on a on a dock in Indianapolis, and that's just my my career sort of paralleled data processing and right. And so I just rode that wave for twenty years and um, got out while the getting was good. Yep. And two thousand and three, Argentina was in a bit of a hole too. Yes, it was. Um, the you know the crisis had just occurred, um, and uh, suddenly we uh, suddenly Buenos Aires, uh, you know, which was the top of the London Times list of expensive cities in Latin America, always number one, um, and I, uh, it was suddenly affordable. It was like you know two thirds off, and um, it was after twenty years uh, in my career, there really wasn't too much holding me in the United States, so. Uh, so, so it pre- came down pre two thousand and one and the economic collapse here. Oh, so it would expensive. have been it would have been expensive for you to come here. Oh, absolutely! It was one to one with the dollar, and um, when I was down here uh, for my first visits, you know, beginning in two thousand, um, I I, uh, I loved this place. I fell in love immediately. But uh, I looked around and I went, "Wow!" How, I mean, I made a lot of money back home, but I didn't make anywhere near enough money to live here. Uh, How could I ever afford to live here? It's just, uh, well, you know, maybe in another lifetime. Right. Yeah. But uh, but after the the, the the collapse of the peso, 
um, suddenly it uh, it seemed to be within reach, and a lot of other reasons uh, made it. Uh, an attractive decision. At the moment, the exchange rate with the US dollar is four to one. Uh, very close. Yeah, very close. Yeah. What, what what was it uh, back in two thousand one? Oh, back in two thousand three. Yeah, around the time. Well, immediately after the crisis, it was uh, it was uh, it, it may have been very close to what it is now, but um, it settled down almost immediately to three to one and slightly less than three to one. It was for many months here um, in two thousand four, two thousand five. It was something around. Uh, 280, not 380. Oh, okay. Yeah. Argentinian wife, Argentine wife, mm-hmm. come to uh, Buenos Aires. Yep. What are you doing here? Are you still in logistics? No. Logistics? That doesn't transplant well, you know. I mean, um, I know the networks in North America. You know, Canada wouldn't bother me. Mexico, I had a lot of experience with Mexico in my career. And, of course, you know, uh, the lower 48 was, uh, I knew, like the back of my hand. But uh, it doesn't doesn't translate well because I'm, the real gonna, I'm going to ask you a, a, a cultural thing. What's the lower 48 <laughs> mean? I actually oh, don't understand that term. Um, the it's the continental contiguous uh, 48 United States. It doesn't include Alaska. It doesn't include Hawaii. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so it's a 48 um, latitude, is it? No, no, not, not, necess- not necessarily. Oh, no, it's just the 48 the 40, states. number of 48 states. Ah, okay. Yeah, before okay. the admission of Alaska and Hawaii. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Cross cultural. <laughs> so, what do you do here? You, like, or I raise you cattle. Just, oh, I raise cattle. Yeah. Okay. So uh, there's been a cattle ranch in my wife's family for back to the Indian days. Um, there's not a lot of spare acreage here in Buenos Aires. No, no. The ranch is uh, about uh, 200 kilometers from from Buenos Aires, in the very center of uh, Buenos Aires province, which is heading which way from here? Uh, from here, you would have to go uh, southwest in order to in order to get to the center. Okay. And it's but it's a big place. I mean, you can imagine it's uh, Buenos Aires province is the same. Almost kilometer for kilometer, square kilometer, it's uh, the same size as France. Or so for uh, for your American listeners, the uh, same size as, as the state of Arizona. Okay. okay. <laughs> so it's, it's enormous, really. Sure. It's very big. Why cattle? Because of family heritage? Right. You're familiar with cattle? Uh, originally, no. Now, yes. But uh, my wife's family uh, has had a... Uh, has been in ranching since um, the days of President Rosas here. Uh, uh, that's from the Indian days, the conquest of the uh, frontier. Uh, was a uh, was an interesting uh, was an interesting opportunity at uh, at that time to get into a, a very new field and also sort of uh, sort of maintain the family uh, history mm. and uh, an involvement in that industry. Did you just walk onto a farm? Just Basically. buy something, walk onto it? No, no, no. The the the, the, the estancia was already there, you know, waiting waiting for my wife and I. Uh, but it so was, it's a family property. Oh yeah. Definitely. Ah yeah. It's been it's been owned. You know, it's been owned for, Jesus, 100 years. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you just basically walked onto it. Thanks very much. We'll keep the heritage going. The walk-on part is accurate. Yeah. Just walk, got, out, got out of the car and, um, and, and saw cows close up for what could have been, you know, my, uh, my, the first time in my life. Okay. Tell me about the cattle industry here in Argentina. And I don't know a lot about the beef industry in Australia, mm-hmm. but... I know a little bit, mm-hmm. and I think there is a significant difference in the way ranching is done here compared to the way it's done back home in Australia. And, uh, and back home uh, in uh, the United States as well, uh, one, of the, one of the major differences is the, the availability of um, excellent grass, natural grass pastures. This is on the Pampas. Mm-hmm. It's on the Pampas. Uh, it, the, the, the Pampas is, um, there's, a, there's two kinds, the dry Pampas, the, the Pampa Seca, and the uh, and the wet pampas, the pampa humida, and uh, in up around this neck of the woods, 
the Pampas is, uh, is well watered with uh, good rains. And um, that's the major difference between your country and, and my old country is that uh, there's a lot of grass. And grain-fed grain beef is something rather new here. In Argentina. Are they moving into grain-fed cattle here? Yes. Yeah, in, in a major way. Uh, it could, it could, we could be seeing the last, the last days of, uh, of Argentine grass-fed beef the way it's been eaten here for hundreds of years. Because the fact that, uh, well, for many things, but um, one of the reasons is that crop yields have, uh, have been so good over the past few decades that it's made uh, leaving good land uh, in pasture not such a good business idea nowadays. So you're better off growing grain mm-hmm. to feed cattle than grass to feed cattle. Right. That land can, you know, as, as the world population burgeons and the markets demand more and more grains, um, it makes just makes more sense uh, to to convert that land to uh, to grain production. And do, do those, does the pampas convert to grain as well as it grows grass? Uh, not, not as, there are, there are lots of areas that are, the, that are as, as good a grain growing uh, land as you'll find in the world. Um, and, and that's okay. And that's been that way for a while. Uh, Argentina is one of the greatest wheat producers in the world, uh, for example. But um, transgenic soy grows just about everywhere, mm-hmm. and um, the best parts, uh, even even, even uh, pastures that are not really suited to growing grain, have areas that are. Now, the bad thing about that is that uh, ranchers are converting their very best pastures to grain and leaving uh, rather marginal pastures to the cattle. And that's that is that's spelling the end of a traditional beef here, which makes it less viable to actually raise the cattle because they won't grow as well on that pasture because it's not as good. So therefore, there's going to be more of an inclination to move stronger towards grain. And that, on top of the fact that uh, growing cattle on grass takes about three times as long as growing uh, cattle on grain, because but, it, they walk around and have to look for their their feed. That's right. And uh, so it's just not as it's it's delicious and it's wonderful. It's one of the the great gifts of Argentina to the world, but uh, but uh, now nowadays, you know, more and more, it makes less good business sense unless things do change in, in the future. What are you doing on your ranch? Uh, we are a cria. Um, a lot, a lot of the words that I know um, uh, about cattle, I, I learned in Spanish first, and I actually had to Google them to find out what the English equivalents isn't were. That, isn't that great for a native English speaker? It is pretty interesting. Uh, what, I, what I found out is that uh, a Korea operation is uh, a cow-calf operation. Cow-calf. Cow-calf, usually. Yep. Um, we are the nurseries. We are the nursery of the cattle industry. Okay. In that we give birth to them, but we do not winter them and keep them their entire life cycle before, uh, before slaughter. We give birth to them. So you're a breeder. Yeah, we're a breeder. And uh, we, we, we sell calves. Okay. Not, generally not for slaughter. Uh, most of the uh, the calves that we produce uh, go on to uh, ranchers with uh, better pasture lands uh, that can that and more pasture lands so that they can live those winters that's necessary to make a uh, about three winters maybe uh, for a good grass fed cow to go to market. So the cattle are raised for what three years are they? Uh, generally three years. Uh, although I don't know if anybody does that anymore. I mean that's a that, but traditionally it always was. If you didn't have any grain, if no grain finishing or any any grain in the diet at all, you were looking at about three years. Okay. As opposed to uh, in, uh, you know stockyards in the United States, uh, you know, a steak you eat in the United States usually comes from an animal that's about a year old. How how long does a cow take to grow to maturity? 
Uh, well, um, three years on grass and about one year on grain. Wow. Grain's highly manipulative, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and there's a and it's it's manipulative in, in a lot of different a uh, lot of different senses. What's your thoughts about grain versus grass? Oh, I'm just sad. I'm sad, sad, sad because uh, I, I when I got into this business about you know about five years ago, um, I was very proud that I was raising beef in the in the style that had been produced in Argentina for uh, for hundred for a hundred years at least, and. And also uh, producing steaks that maybe my grandfather would have uh, would have recognized uh, when the United States was um, was at least um, you know predominantly grass when that kind of grass was available. Mike, I I remember picking up somewhere that grain-fed cattle are different to grass-fed because grass cattle can eat grain, but it has a different that their gut is not designed to deal with grain. Exactly. And even though they might pick up a little bit of grain in amongst the grasses they eat, mm-hmm. to eat a grain-based diet is detrimental to them. And, yes, indeed. And basically, uh, grass-fed is the best way to go. Well, grass-fed is uh, the way nature intended it. And you're right about this, the cattle system uh, not being able to handle a purely grain-based diet. Um, cattle, I've learned, um, they love a balanced diet. And they'll eat, they'll, 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 you know, we talk about grazing when we go to a buffet or something, you and I, well, you know, cattle do, the, we get that from cattle and cattle do that. And if they're w- walking around picking up the grass, they're mm-hmm. exercising, so right. the meat is going to be a better quality, would you agree? Well, um, I do, uh, although it's a matter of personal taste, perhaps. I mean, if you were raised on corn-fed beef from Iowa, you might like that sort of much more greasy and mushy sort of quality, the way I would describe that. And if you do, you do. And I, sometimes I, I encounter people that are very honest here that say, I don't like Argentine beef because it's chewier and it has an interesting flavor to it, you know, something I'm not used to. And I say, well, God bless you, you know, for telling the truth, you know, right. because a lot of people, I think, uh, say they like grass-fed beef when they really don't. Um, personally, I do. I prefer it. Uh, but one of the reasons that, um, you know, if, you're, if a cow is walking around a lot while eating, they're actually burning calories, too. So it takes longer to fatten them. A cow That's that right. walks around on its own uh, takes, you know, is a, a much more muscular cow and uh, a much leaner cow. There's not much, uh, there's basically no intramuscular fat in a, in a grass-fed steak. And that's why I've heard that here if you eat beef, even though, you know, traditionally uh, high healthy diets exclude red meats, a lot of people say that Argentine, Argentine beef is quite healthy. Well, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, about mate. a third of the calories because um, you know our whole system in North America is based on how much fat is in the meat and the, and the highest quality beef prime USDA prime beef is um, is uh, has marbling it has fat in the muscle and that comes from a cow that doesn't get around much and gets a very very high caloric intake but one of the things you mentioned was uh, a, you know a cow is designed more to, to eat grass there's like four a cow has four stomachs and uh, if you feed, and they need that to process all that cellulose, all of that stuff that you and I can't eat, but the cow loves, like grass, for example. But uh, grain, you and I can eat, but we only have one stomach. And so a cow only needs about one stomach to process grain. What happens is when you take the other three out of uh, out of the, the the mechanism, they start to they start to have problems. And that's one of the reasons for a lot of these prophylactic drugs that are pumped into cattle in feedlot operations. It's to counteract um, taking the animal off its natural diet. 
which includes a lot of cellulose and roughage and right. things that take a long time to slow the process so down the, through the gut. Right, so that it moves yeah. around through the entire process, everything gets uh, it stays in well well-oiled machine. Yes. So philosophically, what are you just sad about it or are you going to buck the system or are you a hard-nosed businessman and you just go fair enough, that's the way it is? I wish it was that simple, uh, and, and I wish I was that simple. It would probably be easier. Um, I'm, I'm bucking the trend in a lot of ways, and I'm going with the flow in a lot of ways as well. Uh, actually, uh, this, this next season, um, uh, my wife and I are going to experiment with, uh, with a, um, a different sort of feedlot uh, where we do feed the, the cattle uh, artificially. You know, um, don't allow them to. It's not exactly free range, although we're giving them a lot of free range, more than any place you'd find in North America. But we are going to grow forage crops for them and rotate them through the ranch. Um, so you'll grow a crop of corn or sorghum, sorghum. Or, mm-hmm. or wheat or whatever, right. and you'll and you'll then put an electric fence in and then let them right. graze a certain area and move the fence day by day. Exactly. Yeah, or, or week by week. So but what you're doing is you're basically giving them grain, uh, sorry, grazing with high grain content. Yeah, actually no grain is planned because uh, if I if I grow grain, it makes more sense for me to sell it sell it as grain but than if to you're feed growing, it to cows. if you're growing sorghum, you're going to have it heading, aren't you? So you're going to have grain on the crop. That's true. That's true. But uh, sorghum generally isn't categorized as a grain, or or at least an export grain like corn, which you also mentioned. Yeah, right. If I grew corn, I'd probably sell it for, yes, going, yes. for the going rate. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, and, and I couldn't imagine you'd grow corn as a forage crop for the head of corn. Right, right. That's right. You have your ranch 200 kilometers away, mm-hmm. but you live in Buenos Aires. Yeah, I why, live right downtown. Why, why do, you, why, do you live here in Recoleta? Uh, no, I live in a, a one neighborhood over, uh, more central to the city. It's called uh, Retiro. Okay. So why do, why do you live here and not on the ranch? My wife wouldn't have it any other way. Oh, okay. So it's a, <laughs> the wife. Right. The missus says. The missus so, uh, so, and and, uh, and does that work? Have you got uh, have you got a, a crew of gauchos out there looking after the property? Yeah, we do. Um, originally, we didn't, uh, or orig- we don't. We certainly don't have the same gauchos that we that we did originally. And there were a lot of uh, a lot of problems in trying to introduce much more um, much more modern management techniques into uh, grass fed cattle raising. Uh, and it was uh, it was it was tough in the beginning. We we spent a lot of time on the road. Um, and it was <laughs> it's a super highway part of the way, uh, but uh, the rest of it's two-lane roads. Why is that? Is that because you came with an American culture and transplanting an American attitude, transplanted into Argentina? or is No, it- you might think that. You might think that, but uh, all, of, uh, all of my attitudes come from Argentina. Um, actually, uh, Argentine-based initiatives to, uh, to, bring, to bring much more modern techniques into this because... As I, I think I said, I, I didn't know. The only thing I knew about cows when I got here is that they were uh, delicious and easy to catch. <laughs> <laughs> Not exactly bison on the, the great prairies. No, no, no. much no. more docile. <laughs> That's right. So okay, the question is, your wife wants to live here. How do you find that lifestyle of this huge metropolis? And it is, it's friggin' huge. Uh, tenth or eleventh largest city in the world, something is it really? like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, tw- 12, 13 million people. Depending on how you measure it. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's staggeringly large. And the traffic is horrendous. Yeah. How do you find the duality, the lifestyle here versus lifestyle on the ranch? Well, I, I wouldn't have chosen it um, left to my own devices. I think I would have chosen to stay in the city completely or stay entirely on the ranch. 
uh, and I would, you know, especially coming from uh, from the states, uh, commutes are something that I was escaping from, you know. And, and, I, and you've created a two hundred kilometer commute, right? But uh, my wife insisted upon it, and uh, it has actually uh, given me so much more than um, than it would have uh, had I been left to my own devices and, and, and lived in one place or the other. Uh, tr- I can really say honestly that I uh, I'm one of the few people um, here in Argentina. Uh, that have a, a good footing in the, in the city, and I mean in the city, in the downtown area of Buenos Aires where I live, and also um, a really good footing in um, on a on a uh, thousand uh, hectare ranch that has no electricity or hot water. So uh, I, when I when I'm out there, I, I live I live very much the way uh, people lived. Um, 200 years ago. Okay. There are literally no solar panels, no batteries? Not yet. Not yet. No. Um, it's actually, you know, the, the climate here is so mild. I mean, we do have all four <laughs> Mate, seasons. I, I come from subtropical Brisbane, Australia. Oh. This is cold. Oh, yeah. Well, well, that's what I'm, well, sort of what I mean. Um, you know, we do have all four seasons. Spring feels like spring. Winter doesn't have snow. Um, fall is rec- recognizable to any uh, Midwesterner here. You know, with the leaves change and they fall down, except for the palms. And uh, you know, it's uh, in summer. Summer is nice. Uh, it's nice and warm, and can be uh, a bit humid and brutal for a couple of weeks. But that's about it. So uh, you know, average temperature here year-round in the city, at least, is uh, is uh, 68 degrees Fahrenheit, you know, 20 degrees Celsius. Celsius, yeah, that's pretty nice. So, and so you literally live uh, what on kerosene lamps and the ranch. Mm-hmm. Kerosene lamps. Uh, well, basically, <laughs> people do ask that a lot. But uh, when you when you're it's a working ranch. It's not a, a, an estancia that, like you like you do see around here that ha- that actually caters to uh, to foreign visitors. Uh, so uh, when people ask about electricity, I just tell them that you know when the sun comes up, it's time to go to work, and when the sun goes down, you're ready to go to sleep. You'll be actually very thankful that you, to see the sun set because you're when you can't see your hand in front of your face anymore, you. Uh, you go to bed and you sleep and you want to flee. Right. Wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> what do you love most about the two, the bipolar life that you have? What do you love about Buenos Aires and what do you love about the ranch? Well, you know, I, I, I often call this place um, the Paris of the palm trees. It, it does have a lot of uh, Parisian uh, attitude and, and, and also there's quite a bit of Madrid here as well. And this being um, one of the I don't know how um, uh, Brits Brits have a word for uh, Argentina as part of that sort of unofficial British Empire. It was never a colony, never a British colony, but the British influence here is, is so very very strong. So I have this very cosmopolitan, very European uh, lifestyle. It's very relaxed and uh, very much uh, first world. You know, better than than anything I really experienced in the United States. And also, I, uh, you know, I, I get out in, under the campo, and I, uh, I dress pretty much like uh, the rest of the working men do, and uh, I do the work that, uh, that, especially in the beginning, I, I was one of the hands. You know, I, I branded and castrated and ear tagged, and uh, so do you enjoy that? I really did. Boots I really and all. Enjoyed it. Oh yeah, absolutely. It was just, it was wonderful, and just, uh, well, you know, it's, it's, it's not boring. It's not boring at all. I'm always glad to get back to uh, Buenos Aires to enjoy. Uh, the cafe society here, which I do avail myself of uh, very often. And fine brew houses like this that we're in. Civilization at its finest. Um, and then also I'm, I'm always happy to get back to the, uh, to the combo and, uh, and uh, 
and eat and drink and work with uh, with people that are very very close to the land and have no have no need even any desire to go to a brew pub like this. Mm. Is there a difference between Argentina and Buenos Aires? Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, well, it's um, you know, um, uh, people from the United States and maybe people from Australia feel you know they're sort of shocked to find out that thirty about thirty three percent of the population of Argentina uh, lives in uh, the capital and, uh, in a very big country like this. Uh, but uh, you know, um, uh, Englishmen might not because about thirty three percent of the United Kingdom does live in the in uh, the Greater London area. So yes, I mean Britain is different than London. Uh, and, and Buenos Aires is just as different from uh, Argentina. Can you explain the difference? What what is the you know like I've got a bit of an idea that people who live here in this metropolis, mm-hmm. uh, there, there is a strong European feel mm-hmm. to everybody Definitely. here. Yeah, they're a little bit different. Mm-hmm. They're a little bit. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't think I can ever say what it is. But they're sort of really on the ground and getting into it. But they've certainly got a certain European feel. What's what are the Argent, rest of Argentina like? What you know, when you get out to the ranch, what are those people like? Well, you, here in town, here in, in the capital, uh, people are truly city dwellers. And what, if, if if any of your listeners live in uh, in big cities anywhere in the, anywhere in the world, you know you know how difficult it is to get up in the morning and and actually get to your to your job, and 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 then take your lunch break uh, without, without disaster, and then fight your way home against traffic back to, back to your little apartment. That's a classic city dweller thing, and that's what gives uh, Parisians and New Yorkers and maybe even Londoners uh, and Chicagoans uh, the reputation of being rude. They're not really rude. It's just very difficult to go about your daily business mm. in a big city anywhere in the world. Mm. But in, in, the, uh, in the campo, in the country, uh, it's, um, it's much different. I mean, there is no commute. And it is uh, the days are long, but they're and they're filled with uh, hard physical labor. But uh, they're much more relaxed. It's not uh, clock based. It's not uh, it's not interfered with uh, by uh, electrical appliances. And uh, you know when the sun is low and the, and the morning is cool, uh, it it it, it uh, requires you to do it, it denotes that you should be working at something that uh, that you wouldn't want to do when the midday sun is uh, straight up and down. Also, uh, in the middle of the day when it does get hot, uh, during the seasons when it does get hot, people are very slow and they uh, and they uh, take their time and um, and they, they take siestas in the countryside. Um, but here in Buenos Aires, no one's no one's ever taken a siesta here. I was surprised to find that. I I was expecting everybody yeah. everything to settle down <laughs> at one o'clock. I thought it was going to be that very Mediterranean yeah. siesta culture, but it, it's not here. No, it's it's frantic. It's yeah. frantic all day long. It's just I think the city is just it's just too big, and it's just uh, it's it, there's too much to do, and there's too much opportunity during a work day in Buenos Aires capital. And it doesn't stop even at one, two, five a.m. It's oh, still the going. Life is amazing. It's just. It's just it's exhausting. That's what it is. One of the few things I knew about, and I knew virtually nothing about Buenos Aires when I first stepped off the plane on my first visit here, uh, was that uh, the, the city was um, famous for traffic jams at 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> and it is. I can, I, I, I can relate to that now. I couldn't have bef- <laughs> no, before. A week ago, no. Me but neither. now I could. <laughs> it's just amazing. Is there any animosity between... Buenos Aires and the rest of the country? 
Traditionally. Traditionally, but it's uh, strange. Uh, in the last few years, um, that's sort of uh, faded into, uh, into history. Into really? history. And uh, no, no longer is the case. Uh, or at least nothing resembling the traditional um, uh, financiers of the capital uh, and, uh, and the people that actually live on the land and work on the land outside of, uh, outside of the capital. Um, this, is, you know, this is London compared to you know, the rest of Argentina. It's, uh, it is, there's nothing like it in Argentina. I mean, uh, in the United States, we're used to having lots of major cities. In Australia as well, I'm sure. No, 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 not, really. no, no, no not, not like here. Well, we, have, we have New York, we have Chicago, we have mm. Los Angeles, and then, you know, and, and then half a dozen other major, major regional cities that uh, you know, all vie for, uh, for, uh, for their importance. But uh, here, there's uh, Buenos Aires, and there's everything else. And I, I, I don't think I'm offending anyone from Rosario even or the, Cordoba. Even yeah. the other major cities, mm-hmm. they're, they're I, nothing like they do not. Com- they do not. They do not compare themselves to uh, to Capital, except to uh, to may- maybe to say that uh, their style of life is so superior that they wouldn't understand why anyone would want to live in Buenos Aires. But uh, as far as their their importance or their size, they. Kn- it's obvious even to them that there's, there really is no, no comparison. Can we talk po- politics? If you'd like. Tell me about the um, Argentine political system well, and, that, what, and what do you think of it and um, the spin of it you know, globally and compared to the US. Well, that's actually a good segue from your last question. Um, the animosity between um, capital, cap, the capital and, uh, and the interior. Um, that has always been traditional. Um, the, uh, the the sort of um, you know two different courts you know two different two different uh, teams and two different uh, two different purposes in life, but um, uh, the current administration um, with the uh, caused a, a crisis in um, in um, agricultural production not too long ago very famous I think it's famous worldwide and I, I believe they they their power base being mostly in capital, tried to raise the old ghost of, uh, of, the, uh, of the, the enormous landowners in the interior that, that are not very efficient and that uh, are not very concerned with the national welfare, greedy and uh, inefficient sort of people, as opposed to capital being much more efficient and uh, less greedy and much more of an urban, and urban factory environment. But this, uh, a couple of year, this happened a couple of years ago, uh, it didn't work out when they when they when they waved that bloody shirt uh, once again. Um, the people in the city actually uh, nowadays, you know, uh, don't think don't think of people in the countryside as, as an enviable position of great wealth and great estates. Uh, they actually think of them as uh, poor blighters that uh, have to work all day in the sun for not much money, and uh, and be living in in the capital is just such such a superior way of life. That it backfired, I think, on the on the uh, administration, and they, um, they, they they where they thought uh, city dwellers might rise up in this uh, in this fight against uh, agricultural producers, they were actually uh, the opposite. They were wondering why the government was not providing for them and why their supermarket uh, shelves were bare of meat and uh, beef. Here is cheap. And is uh, a corollary can be drawn between cheap beef in Argentina and cheap gasoline in the United States. Uh, any politician that screws with cheap gas in the United States is going to lose his job pretty pretty quick. 
and uh, the, the same is sort of here. So, uh, so strangely enough, uh, politics nowadays is uh, reflecting this uh, the, the the fading of that old animosity between uh, town and country. A good thing, by the sounds of it. I think so. I mean, it's it's nice when animosity of any kind fades mm-hmm. away, and. Uh, Especially in my case, where I have one foot in the city and one foot in the country, I, I, I love the fact that that animosity is fading. Mike, I'm going to challenge you. Which, which lifestyle would you choose if you had to choose between the two? Well, I'm, I'm 50 years old now. You poor old bugger. Yeah. And uh, I, uh, although uh, I've avoided the pastoral life my entire life, I've always been a very urban person, and uh, I lived in, you know, I've always been more attracted to cities than, than country. But especially being able to see real countryside without electricity and uh, and all of the uh, all of the advantages and and it, uh, being forced into living the, living by the, the more a more natural clock as my own uh, as my own mortal coil slows down uh, I, I, I'm a little more and more every day. If you were to ask me that question every day, uh, my answer would get more and more toward living in the country than in the city. But uh, as you can tell, but just by sitting here with me, oh. I, I enjoy that. I still... That's right. No, I good, still great like answer. This. Great answer. <laughs> I love that answer. It's very good. Are you happy with this lifestyle? Next 20, 30 years, this is where you're going? You have no intentions of returning to the U.S.? None at all. None at all. Uh, do you have dual nationality? Uh, not yet. I, don't have, I, have a, I have my permanent residency, and I carry my national document, uh, but it does say foreigner on it. And... Um, I don't have my uh, Argentine passport as of yet, but uh, no, I have no intention to uh, to return to the United States. And that's kind of interesting when I, in my dealing with my dealings with uh, the expat community here, which has grown very large in the in the past few years. And your part, your you, you actually run a little, you know, sort of drinking club, don't you? Oh yeah, we're uh, I, I'm I'm personally involved in in lots of different things that expats do here in uh, in uh, in Buenos Aires, but. Uh, the uh, my dealings with the expat community is kind of, is kind of strange because I don't really consider myself an expat. I, I consider myself an immigrant because I, I think the dictionary definition of expat is someone who at least has some inclination to return to uh, his country of origin, and I have no inclination. Would you like to tell me what you think of the United States of America these days? Um. You know, um, after being here a few years, uh, I think I, I may have actually come to the realization that I never real, really liked living in the United States. Um, I, and and it, that feeling just got stronger and stronger. But, of course, if you don't have anything to compare it to, you, you really can't. Uh, it's hard to internalize it or actually to be able to define what it is you're feeling if there's no comparison to it at all. Now, after a few years, I think I realized that, uh, that I, I found it uh, too brutal and too um, personally isolating. I mean, Americans spend uh, so many hours of their day just getting back and forth to the job. That doesn't even include the long hours that Americans are famous for working. I mean, productivity of American workers is is tremendously high, no matter what, what we say to ourselves. Uh, in the newspapers, Asha uh, and Shankilandia, but um, we, you know, so it's it's very brutal, and it's uh, and everyone is uh, and, and it became more and more and more consumerist during my lifetime, my in, my very interesting fifty years that I was alive mm. here on the planet, and uh, well, 
you know, it's, uh, I, 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 it's so different here. And uh, I, I just, I, I've come to prefer this immensely. And it's much more, much more uh, relaxed and much more uh, friend-oriented. Uh, people are very, uh, friendships here are so very important. And uh, in the United States, they're very important too. But, but generally, you know, with, with our lifestyle that we, uh, that we lead, it's, uh, you know, uh, we, uh, your friends are people, you, generally people you work with. Uh, it's people just don't have time to maintain fr- uh, friendships the way the way they do here. Here, people make time. People stop. Yeah, Mike, what's this about the expat community and the Democrats and Argentina and all that sort of thing? What's yeah. well, we just came through a pretty interesting period uh, in that you know, we we uh, we were able to uh, to finally uh, uh, stop the uh, the Bush regime. Which you know, when you speak to many expats here, it always comes up. Maybe not the crucial decision, um, crucial to their decision of moving to uh, to Argentina, but uh, uh, you, you do find that it's, it's a pretty common component when you ask people why they moved, why they picked up and left their own homeland. Um, during that time, and I've always been a very politically active person uh, in the United States, and I was uh, I was waiting, I was looking around for a place uh, to watch the uh, the the, uh, the midterms in uh, in uh, 2006, and I couldn't find any place. And I knew that this this city was full of expats, and a lot of them uh, from the United States. And so I, I was kind of was kind of disappointed. I, I went back home, and uh, after not being able to sit around with uh, my compatriots in a bar someplace and watch the re- election returns come in, and I found a, an organization called Democrats Abroad, which is a, a real, honest to God, part of the United States Democratic Party. There was no local chapter here. So uh, I inquired and I offered my services as a volunteer. Anything they wanted, I'd, I'd be happy to help out. Um, all toward the end, really, of maybe being able to, to, to the next time, uh, uh, two years later, in the, ne- the next uh, election, I'd be able to sit around with my compatriots and, 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 enjoy, uh, and enjoy regime change. It's pretty much charged with, uh, by Democrats abroad internationally. Um, with um, organizing a local chapter. And from there on in, um, we were able, a lot of people here, uh, along with me, uh, were able to organize uh, Democrats Abroad Argentina, and I was uh, elected their founding chairman and, uh, and subsequently re-elected. And uh, it was uh, very, very interesting. And, and I, I sense a bit of pride. I'm, I'm quite proud of that. I mean, I'm not personally, uh, yeah, but also, uh, you know, it was just took so many people to do it. And uh, right now there's more than 500 uh, members, and so it's uh, it's it's impressive and uh, satisfying. And um, two years later, I was able to uh, to uh, sit at a bar and uh, and watch the election ter- returns come in. Except this time, I did it with 500 people instead of no one. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> Lovely. Wonderful. And at the inauguration earlier this year. Oh, that was wonderful. Well, we we were. Uh, we were able to uh, convene again in a public space with a bit of libation and uh, big screen TV, and uh, and 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 watch uh, President Obama uh, take the oath of office. And how did you feel? Uh, very very proud and uh, and very satisfied and uh, pleased. And it's, it's, I felt there was sort of an end of a road, a long and very difficult road. Uh, to put together that that uh, that, uh, that organization, and uh, during the, our, the Democratic convention as well, um, I was selected as uh, 
as the one blogger to represent Democrats abroad all over the world at uh, the Democratic National Convention in Denver. And I was actually seated on the floor with the, uh, with the delegation, and, and I got to report back my own personal findings and uh, my own personal take on things. And uh, it was, uh, I, had better, I had better access to, uh, to the convention than um, CNN. I see a contradiction, Mike. Mm, don't you? You know, you, before I asked you about the Argentine-American sort of bipolar thing, and here you are expressing a great deal of pride in being American and being a Democrat. Yeah, it's true. Um, but It's, it's not... almost as though you've discovered a great sense of self as being a U.S. citizen by leaving. Maybe so. Maybe so. Maybe. Um, in fact, I, I was able by, by leaving the United States and by living here. I was. Uh, I've thought about it a couple of times uh, that I was able to do a lot of things that I, I could not have done um, in in Chicago, for example. You would have uh, been just another number. Yeah, and also it would have been tough, and also would have been. Uh, it's a, it's a big uh, big pond and little fish, and uh, and people wouldn't have been uh, as interested. In some in some community organizing type things, but here we recognize ourselves as a, um, a, a small part of a big thing, and uh, that that sort of reversal um, energized not only me but energized the, the all of the people that I've I've encountered and uh, energized their receptiveness to uh, to this kind of thing. So it's not exactly it's not exactly a contradiction, it, but it is. Uh, we are on the we're on the opposite side of the planet. So uh, so maybe uh, something some kind of polar reversal is uh, is is indicated. Huh? Well, it sounds like you're not going to tear up your 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 U.S. passport. No, no, I, I don't have any intention of doing that. However, uh, I, I do I do sort of identify with others. It's like the old, the old 19th century immigrant experience. Um, my uh, my wife's in my wife's family. Her one of her grandfathers was uh, was uh, appointed uh, honorary consul uh, for the Spanish government, and uh, uh, this but this was during the uh, Spanish Civil War, and uh, he <laughs> he did fly the Spanish flag on a little stick outside his home, yeah, out in the, out in the countryside. But it was the wrong flag. It was the flag <laughs> of the Republicans. So uh, you know, I, 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 there is a certain uh, latitude allowed, you know, when you're on this side. So I, I do. I'm, I'm pretty much more liberal than most people in the United States, and still am. And, uh, and so I, I fly a, I fly a, an American flag. It just might be just a little bit different than uh, the standard one. I like that. Do you have any children, Mike? No, none at all. Thank God. Now I'm, uh, I'm, I'm living. Uh, I'm just. Uh, Living the life that I that I that I that I love, and I'm I'm my I'm my own child. I think, uh, sure. constantly being reborn, and uh, and this is evidence of it. I think. Where would you like to see the next twenty years of your life? Oh well, I, I unlike most people, I don't I don't want to live forever, and um, I don't actually want to live tremendously long. Um, I, I think. Uh, 70 years would be a nice lifespan and I think it's pretty reasonable and it's a pretty reasonable demand on the planet and um, if you can't do it right in 70 years then maybe you ought to give it up anyway and I don't want to I don't want to linger uh, it's I feel like I've, I've always lived a very vital life and uh, and I think uh, yeah, 20 more years of uh, of living here in uh, Argentina 
perhaps with a bigger concentration in the uh, countryside rather than the city. Uh, I think I would welcome that, although I would uh, never be able to, to stay away completely from uh, from Mi uh, Buenos Aires, querido. I would. I, I think I could see myself uh, in, the, in the next decade or two uh, ensconced in the countryside uh, a little more than I am today. I wish that for you, Mike. It sounds like a wonderful life. Thank you. Thank you very much for spending time with your story and telling it to us. It's been a pleasure, Ian. I really appreciate it. It's been wonderful. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you.